0: Welcome to TMT's unscripted podcast series. Are you ready to place your investment in virtual care? Today, guests discuss the critical role telehealth solutions play in conflict and combat situations to identify injury, illness, rehabilitation, recovery support, and even behavioral and mental health care to aid civilian patients. Join telehealth and medicine today to learn what impact telehealth plays in war, how continuous care can be provided, and what specific needs must be met for guaranteed remote and emergency care. Tune in to hear Dr. Zaher Zahul president and co-founder of MedGlobal and pulmonary and critical care associate professor at the University of Illinois, Chicago, and our moderator, Marcus Osborne, former senior VP at Walmart Health. Let's listen now.
1: Uh, Dr. Sewell, thank you again for, for joining us today. This feels like uh, a really unbelievably timely discussion, given what we are witnessing in Ukraine. Um, maybe where I'd like to start is just kind of a broader discussion about the role of telehealth solutions um, in in conflicts and in disasters. And so, you know, I, I know telehealth solutions can play a huge role during war, conflict and disasters for those who are impacted by the war disaster. And, you know, you can help people who are dealing with injury or illness, uh, you know, rehab and recovery, um, but we also know the the potential to use it for behavioral health and mental health needs, maybe to help baseline those who will be listening in. It would be interesting to understand what are the uh, different types of telehealth programs that are being utilized in disaster regions uh, for those impacted, um, and how are they Similar to what uh, general consumers of telehealth and digital healthcare are experiencing today, and, and maybe how are they a little, How are they different?
2: Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm really honored, uh, and uh, this is very timely as you have mentioned, uh, especially that uh, we're in the midst of uh, this uh, um, huge uh, conflict and war uh, waged by Russia on Ukraine, um, and uh, it's a um, Millions of people are impacted, of course, besides the fighters and the soldiers on on both sides. So how can we uh, provide healthcare to a population in the midst of a war like this, where you have displacement of population, where you have operational risks because of the harm potentially that can be inflicted on caregivers on also resources like hospitals, ambulances, uh, medical supplies, um, and patients. Uh, so my organization, Global uh, has been involved in providing health care to in situation like this, where there is natural disasters, for example, following Hurricane Maria uh, in uh, Puerto Rico, where you have also similar conditions where, with limited resources and uh, harm or man-made uh, wars uh, in Yemen, in Syria in particular, where we had painful experiences with uh, all kind of uh, tactics deployed by uh, the uh, warring parties to put population under siege and uh, harm hospitals, uh, bomb hospitals, bomb ambulances, kill physicians um, using chemical weapons. Um, and uh, that led to a huge displacement of population. Um, so when we talk about the telehealth uh, in general, um, there's of course a component of technology and communication uh, to provide diagnosis and treatment uh, to patients by healthcare uh, providers, over distance. So um, that's why we call it telehealth. So there is distance, there's a component of technology, there's a component of communication. Uh, You have to have health workers who are specialized in providing this type of service. And of course you have to have the patients and there's this distance between them. Um, What's the difference between peace situation where we provide these, for example, in my clinic, I'm a pulmonary and critical care clinic uh, physician in Chicago. So I do provide telehealth to my patients when they're not able to come to my clinic, especially during the COVID pandemic, where there's many factors that affected the person-to-person interactions. So I call my patients. I have a FaceTime with them. We use different type of technology, proximity, and certain electronic medical records in order to document this visit, Uh, there is some diagnostic tool that can be used at the patient's home like pulse oximetry, blood pressure machine, digital uh, equipments uh, that I can look at. Uh, I interact with my patients uh, through these uh, communication tools and then figure out what's the diagnosis, what's going on and provide treatment uh, either directly or calling the pharmacy and guide the patients to uh, improve outcome. So that happens, of course, during peace situation in urban areas, and especially in rural areas where you have shortage of physicians and nurses. Now, the difference between peacetime and disaster situation, uh, that during disaster situation, including, of course, the war, that we have austere environment. Uh, So that means we have limited resources that may hamper the achievement of optimal patients' outcome, which is basically cure and reduce morbidity and reduce mortality. So we have limited resources, uh, limited number of doctors and specialists. We have limited number of nurses, limited skill sets uh, during war situation. So you may have an internist who is now uh, forced to do uh, certain things that uh, he or she are not used to do during the peace situation. You may have to have a general surgeon uh, who um, is not able to perform, for example, during the usual situation, chest surgery, uh, for a uh, trauma patient, but now during the war situation, he or she has to do these surgical uh, procedures that they're not used to. Uh, you have a shortage of medical supplies that are needed for diagnosis. The, they are needed for uh, treatment like uh, chest tubes, uh, central lines, uh, all kinds of medical supplies, gauze, um, suture kits, um, um, external fixators. Um, and also you have shortage of diagnostic tools, uh, population and Fighters may not have access to CT scanners, to MRIs that we take for granted during the peace situation. And of course you have problems with communication between the physician and the patients because of the war, because of the risk, uh, because of the um, hampering of the transportation. Patient may not able to to go to the hospital even if the hospital is in close proximity to his or her uh, residence because of the risk, uh, because of the curfew. I was in Ukraine uh, six, week, uh, six weeks ago and again uh, three weeks ago in Lviv. And there is a curfew in Lviv after 10 p.m. You have roadblocks by the military. So even let's say that you have a patient who had a chest pain uh, or a pregnant woman who need to go uh, to the hospital for delivery. Uh, this war situation and curfew and of course, if you have uh, area under siege uh, by the Russians or you have... Um, bombing uh, will hamper the transportation of the patient to the hospital um, and that means the patient may or will not end uh, getting the care in the hospital situation they have to get it at home. So um, this austere environment happened during the wars, happens during natural disasters, Um, humanitarian organizations also face the same problem when they provide care in fragile states or low-income Countries we uh, have the similar situation. For example, in my organization in Sierra Leone a few years ago. Um, it's uh, there's no war or natural disaster, but Sierra Leone is low-income country that went through a long civil war. There's a huge shortage of physicians, of hospitals, beds, of technology, and uh, it creates similar conditions to the war situation. And of course, uh, in in our country here, during vast casualties events, including the pandemics where you had influx of large number of patients that uh, um, extend beyond the capacity, the usual capacity, the capacity of the hospitals. So that creates shortage of um, resources.
1: Maybe I'd love to kind of maybe click a level down. I mean, you started to talk about it, but um, the I'd love to understand a bit more about your experience or the experience of MedGlobal. Now in what you know how it, how it sort of comes to life and and been using telehealth in some of these conflict countries, and I know you know you, you've, you've talked about a few um, like ukraine um, but you know I think about places like Syria or Yemen or Bangladesh or even uh, the Palestinian territories how would you know what does that what does that actually what does that then sort of experience really look like if you're a a, a patient? Uh, who needs these services, uh, who, who needs care, h- how are you experiencing it in a place like Syria that's in the middle of conflict? What, what does that What does that experience kind of really look like?
2: Um, it's very uh, difficult and complicated and there are different layers of uh, hurdles that you have to go through. So ideally, of course, you have to have a surgeon, uh, for example, who operates in a patient um, um, in a hospital that has resources that will improve the outcome of that patients. Uh, CT scans, uh, MRIs, surgical tools, uh, supportive team, nursing uh, nursing team. Uh, The hospital should be safe, so the physicians and the um, um, medical team feel safe, the patient should feel safe. After that, if the the patient recovers uh, then from surgery, they need rehabilitation. Uh, All of these things, uh, we take it for granted, but it's not available in cities like Aleppo in the midst of the Syrian war where you have the whole city with its population under siege by the Assad regime at that time and Russians. You have bombing, uh, targeting of hospitals. More than 580 hospitals were bombed in Syria during the war. It's still going on. You have a displacement of population. You have flight of physicians and nurses because of the war. So you end up with very limited resources. How can you reach to population in area under siege that are, or under war? So you have to use these communication tools in providing direct treatment to the patients themselves so you can communicate directly with the patient uh, uh, over distance. Uh, So we use uh, things like um, uh, simple uh, communication applications that we have on smartphones, uh, WhatsApp, Viber, uh, Telegram, um, uh, FaceTime, if you're able to do that, so to to communicate directly with the patient um, over distance. Or you can use the same uh, apps um, for communication with the physicians on the other side to provide them some guidance on what to do in case that you have this type of patient. And sometimes uh, physicians, or many times, they send you pictures of the patients or videos of the patients themselves, or their x-rays or their echocardiogram, their CT scans. And they ask you, what can we do when we have a patient like this? Uh, you know, I, I remember, a patient uh, in Ghouta around Damascus. Um, and we had this telehealth uh, group, uh, WhatsApp group actually, very simple, where you have physicians in Ghouta around Damascus, which was under siege and bombing um, and uh, in a hospital. Uh, and we had physicians on this side in the United States who were providing guidance to the physicians in, in Ghouta. And they, every morning we, uh, I opened the WhatsApp group and you see Uh, videos of CT scans of the brain, and which was available in that hospital. That was the only hospital that has CT scans of patients who had injuries. Uh, And the physicians on this side were guiding uh, the physicians on the Syrian side on what to do. Uh, So sometimes they tell them you have to give this type of fluid or give the the dexamethasone, or this patient will need surgery. And sometimes you may or may not have neurosurgeon at the other side. So this is another way to guide physicians uh, from the, let's say, safe situation, safe environment, to physicians in the war situation on certain tools. The more extreme of this is a surgeon guiding a surgeon in a war situation on performing certain procedures. And it was done uh, in Syria and other places where you have trauma surgeons, for example, guiding a trauma surgeon or general surgeon in a situation uh, of war, on uh, what kind of procedure that they need to perform and even training them on certain procedures that they're not trained to. So using basically these telecommunication tool to provide training to physicians uh, or nurses in a war situation. Um, and um, very simple means like Zoom now that we use uh, in conferences can be used for training. So this uh, online training or distant training is also another way to provide services uh, in a war situation that will basically reduce risk, um, improve outcome, um, reduce cost, prevent expensive or unneeded evacuation of patients, um, or sometimes impossible evacuations, uh, like in what we're seeing right now in Mariupol. It's impossible to evacuate patients and their siege being bombed. So you have to provide the services to uh, try to salvage as many patients as possible. Prevent displacement of population. When you're providing these uh, tools of telehealth, then uh, populations and physicians feel safer, and they stay, and they don't—they're not—they end up—they don't end up being displaced. Reduce cost, reduce risk, build resilience within these populations uh, to reduce risk and improve outcome, uh, and prevent, of course, the flight of uh, healthcare workers.
1: And I wanted to kind of also touch on you, you started to go there, but I mean, certainly um, you know, there are these, and you and you talked about some of the apps and some of the software solutions and, and other technology that enable this, and that sometimes you have to be creative. But but I am kind of interested in the in the in the technical challenges that impede telehealth and in, in in these disaster regions and these areas. Um as you think about, you know. What what is the kind of technology that the people need, the citizen need, citizens need, or the emergency responders need for um, uninterrupted service? I know in uh, we 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 all heard here in the U.S. about um, how Elon Musk you know and put up a satellite for Ukraine to be able to get access to to broadband. What do we actually need to guarantee access in, in these regions? You know, you know what, would, what needs to happen to make sure that this, this service these services can be uh, delivered effectively?
2: That's a very important question, and uh, it's uh, essential in providing telehealth. Without uh, internet and communication uh, services, then you won't be able to provide telehealth. And in many of the areas that you have wars, uh, there is uh, challenges, uh, technical challenges, low ba- bandwidth. For example, of um, of internet, uh, we are seeing it in, in Yemen, in Syria, in the Palestinian territories, and uh, of course during war situation, all of the internet services and communication tools were disrupted. At one point in Syria, there were no internet whatsoever whatsoever, whatsoever in many of the areas that uh, are outside of the control of the government. The government was one of the warring parties, and it cut the internet service for uh, huge areas that are under the control of the opposition. Uh, so you have to be, to be very creative. So um, also lack of um, uh, diagnostic tools uh, on, in the um, war situation. So for example, what happened, you, you, don't, you don't have access to CT scans or MRIs. Uh, you end up using uh, portable ultrasounds. And portable ultrasound are small devices that can be um, uh, donated or given to patients in war situation. We can train physicians um, in uh, the uh, areas of war on the use of portable ultrasound. So you can diagnose bleeding inside the chest or bleeding inside the belly, and uh, which will basically trigger uh, certain uh, operations or procedures. So you need to have technology on the side uh, of the uh, war um, uh, to uh, provide certain diagnosis. The same thing with pulse oximetry, for example, digital pulse oximetry, that will allow a physician in the war situation to look at the oxygen level of the patients, especially patients who ha- are going through uh, respiratory problems, digital uh, blood pressure machine. So you have to have some diagnostic tool in the war situation and you have to have good internet service uninterrupted. Uh, so Elon Musk came up with a solution for Ukraine Good for the Ukrainian people, but we're not seeing that in many other areas for low bandwidth uh, internet, interrupted uh, internet service is still present in Yemen, uh, which is going through uh, a war for the past uh, six, seven years. The same thing in Syria, the Palestinian territories, many other countries. So improving the internet service require certain creative solutions. So in Syria, for example, we use satellite internet. We provided every hospital with a satellite internet in order to have uh, this Wi-Fi service in in the hospital itself. Uh, we provided also uh, some of the uh, engineers that they worked with hospitals. They used amplifiers to amplify the 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 um, the internet service uh, microwave amplifiers. That way, uh, we can uh, communicate with them uh, through these uh, applications. Every country have their own uh, communication apps that they are comfortable with. Right now in Ukraine, they prefer to use Viber, they prefer to use Telegram, they prefer to use uh, Signal uh, because it's uh, encrypted uh, and also because many uh, people use it over there. Compared, for example, to WhatsApp that we use in the US. In Syria, the same thing, they wanted to use or they were comfortable using Viber uh, and WhatsApp, which uh, uh, at that time was not very uh, common here in the US. In Yemen, they use emo. So every uh, country, you have certain preference, preference within the population in using the communication apps. And you have to be sensitive to that and you have to use it. Uh, and you cannot force certain populations or hospitals or physicians to use something that they're not used to. Uh, so, But the internet service is one of the major hurdles uh, in a war situation. Anything that can be done, to create uh, solutions for that would be uh, welcomed and that will improve outcome, reduce risk and improve um, um, morbidity and mortality for civilians and also uh, soldiers.
1: And you, and you kind of, it's, it's, you touched on something there that I wanna uh, maybe delve in a little deeper. You know, there uh, that the challenges aren't just technical in nature. I think that there are other challenges when you think about these areas where there is conflict or, or disaster that's impacting uh, those regions, there are other, there are other challenges that have to be overcome uh, to, to be able to, 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 to deliver care from a telehealth perspective to these populations. You know, I think about um, how do you overcome sometimes language barriers, right? Because in some of these communities, there, there, there are a, a large number of languages spoken. Um, There are other cultural barriers. Um, I'm just kind of interested, you know, what what do you see as those kind of other challenges beyond the obvious technical ones that need to be overcome? Um, And and how are they being overcome today in these in these areas where these these conflicts exist or where these disasters have occurred?
2: Another important question. So uh, right now we're providing uh, online training uh, to our Ukrainian colleagues uh on chemical weapons preparedness because the uh, these are there are reports of uh, chemical weapon or potential chemical weapon used by the russian in ukraine uh so if i want to communicate with my colleagues uh, i speak english i speak arabic but i don't speak ukrainian so um so and many physicians in ukraine don't speak uh, fluent english uh, so we have to have uh, someone who can interpret what i say uh, to our Ukrainian colleagues. So this language break, uh, barrier create uh, a problem. We had the same uh, issues in Bangladesh, uh, especially with the uh, Rohingya refugees. We had, the, the, people are familiar with the genocide and the uh, Rohingya, there's influx of large number of patients. If you wanna provide direct healthcare to the Rohingya refugees, you need to have someone who speaks their language. Um, English is not spoken by the Rohingya population. So um, cultural barrier, especially when uh, it comes to things like uh, tele-psych, which is providing uh, psychological support, uh, mental health support, uh, psychiatrist consultation uh, to patients. Unless you understand the culture uh, and the norms uh, and the body language, then it's very difficult to figure out why is this patient complaining of back pain or losing weight or so forth. So you have to understand the culture. You have to understand the body language. You have to understand that certain population don't uh, give certain information similar to the population in the United States, the the privacy, uh, the the difference between genders uh, and and things like that. So um, that's why it's important that uh, more people from the same areas that are affected by conflict or war provide these services. So if we have a diaspora community uh, that understands the Yemeni culture, they're the best to provide Uh, these uh, services to the Yemeni population over distance. If you have uh, Rohingya uh, healthcare providers, they're the best to provide services to the Rohingya population. Same thing, of course, with Ukraine and Syria.
1: And and another thing you mentioned earlier that I want to kind of come back to is, it's, um, you know, how these telehealth solutions, it's not just about how they're being used to deliver care, but also recognizing that These same solutions can be used to uh, provide training and preparation to these, you know, these healthcare workers in these conflict regions and and in these regions where disasters have occurred. Um, I'm sort of interested, you know, what what are those kinds of what are the types of training that you're 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 delivering or have been involved with um, using sort of these these telehealth platforms? How, you know, what, what is that kind of training you're doing today and, or have done, and, and what does it look like?
2: Uh, training is uh, the best uh, service that you can provide uh, in a austere environment to healthcare workers. Um, you, you cannot send physicians and nurses many instances because of the risk, because of the distance. Um, so you need to train healthcare workers to do certain things that will improve outcomes. So, for example, uh, right now in Ukraine, we are providing three types of trainings based on the requests of the uh, doctors and the nurses and the Ministry of Health. One of them is related to chemical weapon preparedness, and that can be provided uh, using Zoom or using any communication tool. Uh, Internet is good and strong in Ukraine so far. It's not interrupted. Uh, So we can provide presentation, you can provide videos, you can have these videos available on YouTube so physicians uh, can look at it uh, on how to prepare your hospital, how do you detect uh, certain chemical agents, how do you provide uh, protection to your healthcare providers, uh, how do you wear your PPEs, uh, how do you um, um, uh, use certain protocols to to treat patients who are exposed to nerve gas and so forth. So this one type of training. The other type is uh, training on mass casualties, when you have an influx of large number of patients after a bombing, uh, or missile attack to your hospital uh, with large number of injured patients with shrapnels and bombs and and uh, and bullets and uh, crush injury. Uh, how do you triage these patients? Um, which one, which ones you give preference to? So this type of training, uh, uh, mass casualty training or trauma training, also reco- can be done. Online. We did it also in person in Lviv. We did the first type of, tra- of, uh, of training, chemical weapons in person in Lviv. But we cannot reach areas like Mariupol or Dnipro, which is uh, uh, very close to the front line. So you can provide it online. And the third type is the, is the use of portable ultrasound. Uh, we've done this training online uh, with distant training, uh, distant uh, learning in Yemen. We're doing it right now online in Ukraine and other places. Uh, but there are many other types of training that uh, can be done to improve the skills uh, and build resilience within the local healthcare workers um, in in a war situation.
1: Well, this has been a, a great conversation. I want to I want to uh, close on one kind of last topic or question, um, and it is you know I, we certainly know that in times of conflict that uh, that. Um, though it can be difficult we act that sometimes actually great innovation occurs and and so i'm, I'm sort of mindful that um you know it, it, given you know you think about the use of telehealth solutions uh during these conflicts and during these disasters uh that that you know we you have to be creative um and that sometimes you kind of have to find new approaches um And so I'm wondering whether there's any examples of uh, applications of telehealth that have been deployed in in these conflicts or in these uh, uh, disaster regions, um, you know, whether they're they're sort of use cases of that deployment um, that that would, you know, maybe kind of represent, you know, pioneering first or, you know, maybe be, you know, at least be surprising um, uses and that, that might kind of represent, or, you know, and, and, and do you think any of those, those uses, uh, might they kind of represent opportunities in the, uh, for, for any of the kind of listeners in the, in the broader consumer health space, meaning, you know, um, that they represent an opportunity for us to think about how we could take that application that was done in a conflict region and bring it just to everybody, even in those areas that aren't dealing with conflict?
2: Definitely. Um, I always uh, think that, uh, w- you know, uh, crises bring opportunities and bring the best of the populations, um, including creativity and in providing solutions. And these uh, creative solutions are usually uh, um, given um, by, uh, by by the populations who are affected and not by us on, on, on the safe side. So we need to listen to healthcare workers in, in these crisis situations. They will tell you what is the best for them and they come up with usually creative solutions so i remember for example in syria where we had um, what we call it icu telehealth or teleicu so where uh, you have uh, hospitals that of course intensive care unit are the places where you have the most uh, sick patients in the hospitals how can you provide daily services to the to the to the icu we did not have critical care specialists in syria So um, doctors in Syria came up with this solution where we had a group of uh, uh, critical care specialists in the US who speak the same language, they're Syrian American, uh, and the the physicians and nurses on the Syrian side in the hospital, they did a daily round uh, using uh, WhatsApp basically. Um, And this daily rounds uh, using WhatsApp, uh, the physician on this side was communicating with the physician on the Syrian side about their patients and doing their, making the daily rounds. Uh, they, we, they, we used uh, this uh, program called SmartCam, uh, which is an application uh, that is provided also uh, on the smartphone. Um, we had installed a small uh, camera in the Syrian side, so the physicians on the American side can look at the patient in the Syrian side through that camera. Uh, and they can uh, look at it, they can interact with the physician on the Syrian side. We had uh, a satellite internet, an amplifier to improve the uh, internet uh, um, uh, service. Uh, and that way uh, it's like you are rounding on your patients but using these very simple uh, tools. So these kind of creative solutions, we see it in our situation. It can be applied back in a, in a, in a, in a uh, peace situation. Also, um, one more solution is to share these practices. It's, right now, we're seeing Syrian physicians providing services in Ukraine because they're used to the war situation in Syria. They came up with the solutions. They know how to protect the hospitals. They know how to move the patients to the lower floors. They know how to deal with chemical agents. Uh, they know how to deal with siege. So we're seeing more Syrian uh, physicians uh, who are going to Ukraine to provide this help. So sharing best practices and creative solutions between populations affected by war is another uh, important aspect of the war situation. There are many things uh, that I witnessed in the last uh, 12 years or so uh, working with MedGlobal and before that with the Syrian American Medical Society that uh, the populations affected by war came up with and uh, it's improved outcome, build resilience within the community, prevent displacement and we have to listen uh, to healthcare workers in these uh, areas and come up with the technical solution that are not expensive but they're adaptable and simple and can save many lives
1: well dr sulu uh, first i want to take thank you for taking the time uh, to to have this conversation today again a very timely one and and let me also just thank you for all the work that you're doing i mean it's so vitally important around the world so 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 again thank you for the thank you for the time, and thank you for the conversation.
2: Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for the timely discussion also.
0: We appreciate your tuning in to the Partners in Digital Health Institute Startup and Early Career Incubator Writing Bootcamp. Thanks for listening in today. To keep up with webinars, podcasts, and other tools for your career in business, Join the Partners in Digital Health Institute at pdhinstitute.com and click join. To learn more about ISMPP, please visit ismpp.org, join, and engage with programs available. Stay tuned for our next session coming soon.